0: This week's Retronauts comes to you in stereoscopic 3D. Please rest your eyes after 30 minutes of listening. Classic Nintendo game prices are through the roof on the aftermarket these days. That even includes the company's least popular and least successful console ever, the Virtual Boy. While that may seem a little strange, given Virtual Boy's reputation and short life, it does make a certain amount of sense. Collectors love to be able to buy complete sets, and this is a system by a popular manufacturer whose library topped out at about two dozen games. You can conceivably own the entire Virtual Boy library without too much trouble, as only a few of those games are exceedingly rare or expensive. Nestor's funky bowling and SD Gundam Dimension Wars might set you back a pretty penny, but locking down the entire Virtual Boy collection is a far more appealing prospect than trying to hunt down, say, all 2000 Game Boy releases. Virtual Boy also enjoyed the benefit of an uplift to its reputation a few years back when Nintendo wanted to make a case for the 3DS's legacy. As the most direct antecedent of the 3DS, the Virtual Boy suddenly had marketing value. Nintendo changed its messaging overnight from what Virtual Boy to ah yes, that proud moment of our history. Even more interesting was the exact line of revisionism that the company adopted in order to ease the Virtual Boy back into its official timeline. It wasn't really a game system, you see. It was always more of a toy, a gadget, that just um happened to play video games. But we're not in the business here of maintaining face for Nintendo. We're pretending the company has a spotless track record. The Virtual Boy was a game system, and a pretty interesting one at that. It may have been horribly flawed and borderline unusual, but honestly that only helps to make it more interesting. The giveaway for the system's underlying intent as a game device is right there in its name. Called Virtual Boy, it clearly was designed as some sort of successor to Game Boy. If Virtual Boy had defied the odds and somehow caught on, you can bet that Nintendo would have sunsetted Game Boy and let the new device take its place. Of course, that was never going to happen even in the most optimistic alternate reality. Virtual Boy was meant to be a successor to Game Boy in many ways, and perhaps it was in every way except the one that really mattered, the overall play experience. Game Boy didn't succeed because it had limited monochromatic graphics or an underpowered processor running inside of it. It succeeded in spite of those things. The sheer portability and low cost of Game Boy allowed it to become a hit despite its obvious deficiencies in every other respect. Who cared that its screen was a blurry mess of unpleasant green tones when it allowed kids to take Mario and Ninja Turtles on the road for less than $100? Virtual Boy carried forward Game Boy's tradition of unimpressive visuals, but it abandoned all pretense of portability, requiring players to basically treat the system as an installation. Players used Game Boy at any angle they liked, anywhere they wanted, while Virtual Boy, more than any other system the world had yet seen to that point, demanded users conform to its setup. It was a game system that trumpeted its ability to produce 3D graphics, and yet its processors were incapable of producing conventional polygonal effects compared to contemporary consoles like the PlayStation and Saturn. Due in part to its relatively underpowered processor, it used almost exactly the same chip that powered NEC's PC-FX, but without the hooks for expansion. And due to its four-color screen, the Virtual Boy's 3D graphics amounted to wireframes, similar to Argonauts X for Game Boy, not really the most impressive precedent. As for the system's stereophonic 3D effect itself, well, that was smoke and mirrors. Or at least mirrors, anyway. The system used a tricky visual array centered around a spinning mirror to project a single row of 224 red LEDs in a way that created the illusion that you were looking at a 384 by 224 pixel screen, or rather, two screens, one with each eye, creating the system's trademark illusion of depth. Virtual Boy's innards are what you'd call a clever hack, but they're also in many ways the downfall of the system. The fragile internal mirror array, dependent as it was on a precision mechanism operating at high speeds, demanded the console sit motionless while in use, and is the most likely component of the Virtual Boy to break down with age. In many ways, Virtual Boy seems bizarrely un-Nintendo-like. Easily damaged, expensive, weirdly inconvenient to use? On its face, the system couldn't be further from the Game Boy in spirit. On closer examination, though, you can make some connections between the company and its most oddball creation. The essential linchpin, of course, comes in the form of Virtual Boy's creator, Gunpei Yokoi, also the designer of Game Boy. Yokoi's career consisted almost entirely of coming up with cool, inexpensive gadgets that replicated the function of much pricier devices. Now, Virtual Boy doesn't fall quite so obviously into this category as, say, Game Boy, whose combination of value and compromise was thrown into sharp relief by its contemporary competitors, the Sega Game Gear and Atari's Lynx. Those were much more impressive machines than Game Boy, but also much more expensive machines. Unlike in the Game Boy's case, there was nothing else on the market quite like Virtual Boy. Again, it used the same central processor as the NEC PCFX, fx but the two systems otherwise had nothing in common. Virtual Boy was a standalone device with integral screens, the PC-FX was a PC-console hybrid based around an optical drive and numerous expansion options. And while it was called Virtual Boy and came in the form of a headset-like face attachment, the system really had nothing to do with virtual reality. It didn't offer immersive 3D or head tracking or any of the other niceties you'd expect from the format. If Virtual Boy had a comparable contemporary, It might have been Sega's gimmicky holographic arcade machines of the early 90s, like Time Traveler. While the presentation style was different between the two devices, both employed mirrors to create a 3D effect. Both were unreasonably expensive within their markets, and both proved to be short-lived. To be fair though, what Virtual Boy offered was pretty cool for the time. 3D tech had been a fad in gaming during the late 80s, But it had fallen largely out of favor as game developers and manufacturers began in the 90s to experiment with polygons to create the illusion of a third dimension through more mundane means. And here, flying in the face of all that, was a system built entirely around the concept, selling for the price of a typical console. But was that really something anyone in the world actually wanted? What amounted to a high-resolution Game Boy with a fancy visual effect limited by its bulk and design? As hardware missteps of the mid-90s went, Virtual Boy wasn't necessarily the worst. I mean, how could it have been when Sega's 32X existed? But it was pretty bad. Virtual Boy was the sort of invention that sounded interesting on paper, but didn't translate well to a retail product. Overpriced, underpowered, inconvenient. It was a clever invention that needed a few more passes to help translate it from engineer's brainstorm to viable consumer-oriented device. And while it certainly wasn't the only miss that Gonpei Yokoi came up with in his 30-year career at Nintendo, it was the only one that was meant to serve as the linchpin for an entire pillar of the company's strategy. Nintendo reportedly sank more than $20 million into its marketing, and they definitely pushed it in a big way at the time. But ads and marketing alone can't salvage an underbaked idea, and the Virtual Boy never found an audience. It didn't even manage to move a million units, despite fire sale clearance prices, which makes the Wii U look like a bestseller by comparison. The tragedy of it was, Virtual Boy actually had some pretty good games in its short lifetime. Fans are quick to defend the honor of its version of Wario Land, which was a completely different game from Super Mario Land 3 on Game Boy, despite taking the linear design approach of that game, as opposed to the more open-ended, interconnected style of Wario Land 2 and 3. There was, of course, Mario Clash, by far the most interesting thing ever to happen with the original Mario Bros. arcade concept. And let's not forget Nestor's Funky Bowling, which was fascinating not only for being a rare video game to take on America's least athletic sport, but also for transforming the obnoxious Nintendo Power Comic Star into an actual video game character. But Virtual Boy was also home to some really interesting games that sat much further off the beaten path. For example, it had its own Shin Megami Tensei game. But this wasn't an RPG. Rather, Jack Brothers was an arcade-action puzzler featuring Jack Frost and his fellow cutesy mascot-style demons. Pretty weird way for the long-running demonic franchise to make its debut in America. Its sole movie-licensed adaptation was based on Waterworld, of all things. And in Japan, it even picked up an obscure adventure game based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft. In's mouth no Yakata, a first-person maze game that's less interesting for its mundane shooting action than for the fact that it exists at all. Given how heavily Virtual Boy was set to feature into Nintendo's future plans, and how quickly it was abandoned when it turned out to be dead on arrival, the system is also a hotbed of half-finished and scrapped games just begging to be unearthed. Already, curio-seekers have dug up a few notable canceled Virtual Boy titles, most famously Bound High, a sort of jumping Flash-style 3D platformer whose concepts and lead character were eventually salvaged for the excellent Japan-only Game Boy title Shallow 55. Virtual Boy will never amount to anything more than a footnote in video game history. Nintendo ultimately realized the 3D visual effect in more satisfying and practical ways with the new 3DS, and even then, it still feels like little more than a novelty, one used inconsistently from game to game at that. The system will always have a certain collector appeal, of course. Collectors love Nintendo, and this will likely be the only Nintendo system ever whose library they can own in its entirety, but eventually those fragile mirrors will give out. And unlike the brittle drive belts on the Famicom Disk System, replacing a Virtual Boy's innards isn't exactly a consumer-level repair process. And so the less than a million Virtual Boys out there in the world will slowly diminish in numbers until the system is but a memory, a mere rumor of the time Nintendo totally missed the mark. Of course, the ideal tribute to the system would be for Nintendo to incorporate it into 3DS Virtual Console, but while they're willing to at least acknowledge the Virtual Boy's existence these days, something tells me they'll never take it quite that far. For more apologias for bungled video game systems, keep listening to Retronauts. You can find us on retronauts.com, usgamer.net, and all over the internet, especially on iTunes, but really on any podcast syndication service of your choice. You can find us on social media, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook... I don't know. Just look for us. We're on the internet. And of course, this season of Retronauts is brought to you by Patreon or Patreon, however you want to pronounce it. Thanks for listening and join us next week for a normal episode.